Romans chapter 6. Hopefully you have an outline. If you don't, just lift your hand up. We'll get you an outline. And uh, I want to take you into the exchanged life tonight. Romans chapter 6, we are at a place where now we understand what salvation is. It's what has been accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ for us where He died for our sins, but He then told us that we need to be born in Christ and no longer a part of Adam. But how do we get out of Adam? How do you get out of Adam and into Christ? And so we need to look at that as Paul continues. Now remember that in the uh, Bible there were no chapters and verses. Some monks from a long time ago thought they'd help us out and put those in there. That's nice, but it, it breaks up the flow. It breaks up the thought process. So we're going to start in uh, Romans chapter 5. We start at verse 20 where we left off where Paul was excited and he said, hey, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Nobody's excited about that? Eh? All right. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You know what? If you're going to get a tattoo, get that. All right? Because you've got to be reminded of that every day. Every day. We look at a world right now that is being overrun with sin. But I'm telling you, that verse is our hope and our future. Sin may abound, but what's going to greater abound? Grace. Grace much more abounds. In fact, in the Greek, it superabounds. So the Avengers is coming out in a few weeks, and we're going to see all these superheroes, but grace is even better than that. Right? Grace superabounds. It much more abounds. Now, uh, Paul's got a naysayer in the crowd, and he goes, oh yeah? Is that right? And, and when I preach on grace and tell people about their security in Christ, there's some folks every now and then say, oh, so what are you saying? We can go ahead and sin so that grace would abound? Let's just keep sinning. And what is Paul's reply to that in Romans chapter 6? God forbid. Absolutely not. When we say that we're a new creation in Christ and that it's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God by which we stand, we're not giving a license to go ahead and sin because grace just covers it all. It's like icing on the cake. It'll just cover it and make it all sweet and gooey. No. He says, God forbid. And the reason he says, God forbid, is he says this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, the folks who have this criticism about the grace of God, saying that, you know, you're living sloppy in sin and all that, they don't understand what salvation is. Salvation is a whole new creation and a new identity in Christ. We're, we're not just believing a philosophy if Christianity was a philosophy, we might as you can accept Buddha, you could accept Muhammad, you could accept Confucius. There, are, there uh, I said Confusions. Uh, it's all the same. But those, you know what? Those are philosophies. This is not a philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a mindset, and it's not a religion. Christianity is a new creation. You've become a new being. And so by becoming a new creation, you are no longer in Adam and you now have power to overcome sin. That's why Paul would say to such a foolish statement, are you saying because of grace I can go ahead and sin? Absolutely not. Because of grace you are now empowered not to sin. You getting this? 
All right? So let's take a look at his logic and his thinking. We begin here in Romans chapter 6, and he starts in verse 3. And uh, it would help if I was there. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, he says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You get that? So that we would live a new life. Now, this is a very important verse because what he's saying is, when you were baptized, and that is the time of when you were saved, not necessarily when you were dunked in water, but when you were immersed or baptized by the Spirit of God into Christ, you became a new creation. So let's break that down. What he's asking for is identification with Christ. He says that we therefore have been buried with him through baptism. Now, now take a look at this. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, into his death? So we are identified with the cross, put on the cross with him. Then he says we were buried with him. All right? So what's he trying to illustrate here? The same thing he said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 220. Did you come in? You see in the youth room? There's a symbol that says 220. Do you know what any, do you understand what that stands for? Galatians 2:20. This verse. And what it says is this: I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you know that you were put to death with Christ and you were buried with Christ in your baptism, in your confession of faith? You immediately became identified with Christ. Your sin was put on that cross through Jesus Christ. He died for all who were in Adam. He died for all the sins of the world. So if you come to Christ and confess you're a sinner, you now identify yourself in Christ on the cross at his death. How many of you remember that old spiritual? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer to that is yes. Yes. And it makes me tremble. 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 <laughs> right? We were there. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's Christ who now lives in me. I'm a new creation. I've been born from above. I have a new identity. I am no longer identified in Adam. I'm identified in whom? Christ. Now that makes a big difference to the Father. And so I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ living in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, salvation is so much deeper than simply repeating the words after me, right? We, we lead people to Christ, and that's all we can do. The Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. You know, that's, that's all we can do. We can lead them to the Lord. We can say, well, if you believe in your heart and you say these things, and, and that's the best we can do, the rest is between them and the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that, right? 
and some of them are truly confessing and others are just saying what they need to say right now i've been in all different places and and i remember in different food lines and in different places around the world and areas like south africa we're handing out food and we say you know would you like to accept the lord and and they they're thinking sure if i accept the lord i get this water and i get some food right and 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 there's not a depth there for some for others it's true it's real but what happens at salvation brothers and sisters is not simply repeating some words as if they're magic and then fairy dust comes on us and we're saved this is not what salvation is salvation is a miracle of god by which when you truly understand you're a sinner and you understand and believe in your heart that Christ died for you and confess with your mouth He is Lord. You see, there's a, there's a realization in all of this. Then you are becoming identified in the person of Christ on the cross. And you are then buried with Him in death. And so what does that mean? You've died with Him. You've died with Him. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. You're in for the full ride. (laughs) Thank God, right? So he says you're identified on the cross with him, you are buried with him, and you rise with him to a new life if we've been united with him. And how do we unite with him? By faith. By faith. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So this is a crucial, crucial verse for you to understand Romans 6 6 for we know that our old self a better translation of self is man your old man some of you are thinking of your husbands I know but I'm not talking about that for we know that our old man now who's the old man Adam he's the original old man right so what's happening here what's being put to death the old man the old being, the old identification that you were in. See, remember we were all in Adam? So what is put to death? Now it says it's crucified. Now the word crucified doesn't mean that it's resting. Crucified doesn't mean that it's taking a nap. Crucified doesn't mean it it went into a coma and maybe it'll eventually pop up again. Crucified means dead. So this thing's dead and gone the old man has been crucified with christ did jesus die certainly he died so therefore the old man in you what happens to him he dies because remember you die with jesus you're buried with jesus you rise with jesus and so what god does miraculously and amazing in a genius design is he who knew no sin jesus Born of a woman, but not of Adam's blood, seed, right? His seed came from the Father. So he's fully human, but he is not of the curse of Adam. He lives a perfect life. He therefore can be the sacrifice for you and I in which all of the sins of the world are put on him. 
He dies to fulfill the justice and the law of God. God pours out all wrath and judgment on Jesus against all sin. Jesus dies, but because he is sinless, death can't hold him legally. Therefore, he rises from the dead eternally in a new body, and he says, if you'll put faith in me, I'll take you on that ride. You will be crucified with me, you'll be buried with me, and you'll rise with me. And that's why we do that at baptism. That's why we illustrate this when we dunk someone in the water, their confession of faith, we bury them with Jesus, and then what do we do? We resurrect them in Christ, and it illustrates Romans chapter 6. The old man's put to death. Therefore, my identification as a son of Adam is now put to death and buried with Jesus. And I am now risen, and what is my new identification? In Christ Jesus. And how was Jesus' relation with the Father? Perfect. Perfect. They're one. And what does Jesus invite us into? That oneness. Father, may they be one as you and I are one. And so we are in oneness with Christ. Let me illustrate this to you a little further. Remember we talked about imputing or crediting? Remember Abraham? Righteousness was imputed or credited to him because he believed what God said. It was put in his account. It was given to him, right? Well, that's what happens at the cross. There's a great exchange and credit being passed back and forth. So here's Adam. And Adam's sin is imputed or credited to you and I. We all inherit Adam's sin because we all die. There's enough evidence right there. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so, so we all have Adam's sin imputed upon us. We're born in iniquity, David says in the Psalms. And, and you and I are born in the nature of sin. The only thing you and I know what to do is to feed self, is to sin against God. We're born dead to God in sin. But what God does is he sends his son, the word of God, come in flesh, perfect, outside the curse of Adam, so that then our sin is put on him. Adam's sin was put on us, our sin with Adam, all of Adam's sin and all the people's sin, is now credited and imputed to Jesus on the cross. He dies for that sin, being the only righteous one that ever lived, being of a pure blood that could pay the price of the law that says the life is in the blood and the blood atones for sin. He dies, he is buried and he rises from the dead, and now our sin was put upon him and exchanged now. His relationship is put on us. His righteousness is clothed in us. We talked about that last week, where immediately when you confess the, the Lord as your Savior and confess your sin, put faith in him, immediately you are now born from above or born again and immediately born in right relationship with Father. Immediately born righteous. Thank God. Isn't that cool? How do we know that this takes place? How do we know our sins have been forgiven? Because as you have confessed Him as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Because the Spirit of holiness can't dwell in anything sinful. Right? 
So the sin has to be eradicated. It has to be taken care of. That's done by the blood of Jesus. But you say, you know, Pastor Tim, I still sin. I still stumble. Yeah, and the problem is, is because we're still in the old container. We'll get into that as the weeks progress. But we're still in the old Adam container. Though I have a new nature within me, I still have the patterns of this container. How many of you know that? Right? I mean, I I could take you places in your mind that would put you right back into sin. I don't have to do it. You do it yourself. Right? Don't we? Because those patterns are still within us. And what happens is the new nature that's in us by God is now going to work itself out of us and through us and begin to sanctify us through and through, as Paul says. As we begin to listen and obey the spirit of holiness in us, we will begin to drop off that power of sin. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that if the old man's put to death, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died is free from sin. That is awesome. Death, now get this, death... It can no longer have mastery. Look at verse 8. This is awesome. Now let me show you what God is going to do with this. He says this in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Let's stop there for a minute and see if he's right about that. See, did Jesus die? Okay, so once he died, can he die again? Because the physical body in the image of Adam was put to death, and now he has a resurrected body, a glorified body that is no longer under the law of sin and death that commanded death. He's broken the power of death. He cannot die. He is eternal in his new body we're going to get one of those one day hallelujah we we got to get rid of this container right don't go too quickly we need you here got work to do but see he cannot die again and so what does he go on to say since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again here it is death no longer has mastery over him what's stronger death or jesus Jesus he conquered death he overcame the grave didn't he right now the death he died he died to sin for you and I the reason he died remember he said no man takes my life I lay it down you can't kill Jesus you couldn't then he willingly laid his life down And by laying his life down, he laid his life down for our sin. For the judgment of God against sin, he took it. Laid his life down. So death no longer holds him. Death is not the master over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once for who? Once for all. We don't need to re-sacrifice Jesus every Sunday. We don't need to go through that. Jesus died once And that death atoned for sin forever, for all sin and all people who would accept it. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Remember, he's alive. (laughs) 
He rose from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now the key phrase here is this. Death no longer has mastery over him. Correct? All right, look at verse 11. You with me so far? Read it with me. In the same way. Oh, let's stop. Let's read it one more time. In the same way. I'm going to say it again because not everybody said it. I'm going to help you. Ready? In the same way. What, is, what do you think that means? Just like what we read. Right? He conquered death. Death does not have mastery over him. He lives a life now powerfully over death. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The church has got to begin preaching this once again. We are not preaching that we have power and mastery over sin. You know what the church teaches? I'm a sinner just saved by grace. I'm a sinner just like you, just, but I'm forgiven. Man, it is canceling out the entire identity of who we are as sons of God. My identity is not a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm not identified in Adam. I have, I'm identified in Jesus. And if he overcame death, I have power to overcome sin. We don't teach that. We all expect each other, just sin. Come to the altar and pray. We're on a treadmill. We come up here and we go, Oh, God, I did it again. <laughs> Help me. I'm sorry. Give me more strength to, to defeat it. And then we go out, and in our best effort, we try to do what we can, and we fall again. And we come back, and, and we figure this is the best we've got till we're dead. This is the best we've got. Just keep repenting. Just keep repenting. That is not what God has delivered us into. He has given us power to defeat the patterns that cause us to keep going back to the sin. He will begin to bring revelation to you as to why you go back into that sin. Why do you self-medicate with those issues? There's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind why, in you, why you and I have particular lusts and drives and desires into our particular sins. We all have them. We all have a particular bent towards whatever sin to self-medicate and to feel better. But God has an answer for that woundedness that can heal you so that you have power over it. Does that make sense? So we can live a victorious life and be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. How many of you know that verse? I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Okay, right? Everybody knows that, right? Everybody in the church says, we're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Okay, let's ask ourselves, what have we conquered? What are, what are we conquerors of? Sin. But nobody knows it. We're not being taught that. We're not being taught that we're conquerors of sin. That I can move to another level in my life instead of repeating the same issues over and over. Now believe me, we've got a whole lifetime of things to work on. But when you understand you're identified in Christ, that is secure. And now, because I'm secure in Christ, I have a new identity in Christ, I now have the spirit of holiness in me to empower me, and grace gives me the power to now work at those sins and overcome them. I, I want the church, I want this church to become like an auto shop. 
You know what I mean by that? You know, when you take your car in the auto shop and you go, you drive in, you go, oh, this is broken. This is messed up. Can you fix it? I'd love a church to come in where people say, you know what? I sinned in this area of my life. I need deliverance and I need help. And we wouldn't go, oh, did you hear what they did? Oh, we can't have you here. No, we'd get to work on it with them. Say, amen, brother. You know what? There's some other people who are addicted to that stuff, and they've been set free. Can I help you? Let's have you meet with them. Let's talk about it. Let's find out the inner wound, the issues that keep you going on to whatever it is, alcoholism, whatever drugs, addictions. Uh, This brother got free. You can get free in Jesus. There's power to overcome that, and you teach them how to access that power and overcome it. That's what the church is supposed to be. Not a collection of uh, fake people. Right? Where we pretend we're all good. (laughs) Hopefully we did 20 years ago and we keep working at it. All right, you see what I mean? So what he says is, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Now in the King James it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. And I remember when I first read that. Uh, this verse changed my life. Changed the course of my preaching and teaching. But I read it in King James, and, and I remember when I read it, you know, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Uh, all I could think of was down south. Right, you know? Well, I reckon. So I thought Paul was from, you know, like the south of Israel or something. Well, shoot, just reckon yourselves dead to sin. And what I thought reckon was, was just thinking your brain. Right? I mean, I reckon so. And so I thought that's what it meant. That, and that bothered me because I was struggling with a particular area that I had to overcome, some particular sins. And, and I'm working at it, and I'm thinking, is this just a mind game? Is Christianity really just a mind game? That, that we just reckon, we just pretend we're dead to sin, but I still got to face it all the time? Right? Well, I did a word search on that, and I began to go into the depth of meaning of what that word is, and in the Greek, it's logazomai. Lo, lo, and what that is is the same word for impute or credit the same word that righteousness is imputed unto us or credited to us by faith in Jesus what he's saying is the power for you to overcome sin is imputed or given to you credited to you it's not reckoned in your brain it is actually you have the power given to you by the power of God's indwelling spirit to now be dead to sin. That's a big difference than thinking it. But now I have the power to do it. And that's what Christianity is, and that's what we've got to get back to understanding. I have power over sin. Now we're to share grace and mercy and Be gentle and helpful with people who are stuck in sin. But every now and then it's time to say, you know what, straighten up and fly right. Get your act together. Sometimes every now and then you need a good kick in the pants. Right? It's like, come on. Who you fooling, who you kidding? 
And God doesn't want us to be weak. He needs us to be strengthened and to understand there is a power in me. We keep quoting, greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Then act like it. Manifest it. Begin to know this power in you. Begin to discover the power of God within your lives so that God would begin to bring revelation knowledge to you to which you could overcome and conquer sin because we now have the power to overcome sin. And I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, this is not being preached in a lot of churches nowadays. We're, we're, we're a church of convenience. We want to hold you here. We want to keep you and entertain you. But we're not, we're not fair to folks who are struggling in sin. I want to give them a message that we've got power to overcome it. You see, I died to sin, and now I am alive to God. That's what he's saying. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now look at what he says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Who's going to reign in you? Sin or spirit? Who's going to reign? Right? Now, we're working on this. Right? Some days we're doing good. Some days, but we still have the victory. We've got to recognize, get back up. Get back up. We had a prophecy here Sunday. I don't remember if it was first service, second service, where the Lord said, get back up. You've fallen. Get back up. And if you fall, get back up and keep moving. That's victory. Right? You're in a running race. Someone falls down. Quit? No, you get back up and you run. Run, Ferris, run. Count yourselves sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law but under grace. Grace empowers you to have power over sin. For sin shall not be your master. Say it with me. Sin shall not be my master. Say it again. Sin shall not be my master. Who is your master? Jesus. All right? And so we're living under that power. Now, That is an untapped resource that we have got to begin understanding. So I'm going to give you a few illustrations for this, all right? We have power over sin just as Jesus. Remember, it's just the same way that Jesus. So the comparison was the same way that Jesus has power over death is the same way you have power over sin. That's what he said, didn't he? I'm not making this up. We just studied it. The same way that Jesus has power over death, right? Death isn't going to master him. Is the same way you have power over sin. Sin is not going to master us. Wow. Now it's that that straightforward. And let's stop making excuses. Let's start working at that. Patient with each other, but let's start working at that. Because we have the power of the resurrected Lord in our lives. We can conquer sin. That is a powerful potential in us. When do we get it? Let me share a story with you. This is a true story. In the 30s, Bill and Ira Yates, well, 
Crescent Time, Bill and Ira Yates, they want to buy a piece of property. They want to be farmers. So Bill and Ira Yates get a good deal on a field. And so they buy this field. They try to plant crops on it. Nah. People told them, look at man, you bought a lousy piece of land. You can't grow anything on that. And they, uh, Bill's a bit of a stubborn guy, and he went ahead with it anyways. And his wife just rolled her eyes. And uh, so he went ahead and tried to plant some crops. Nothing grew. Nothing grew. So Bill and Ira, you know what they decided to do? Raise some sheep on it. So they bought, spent the rest of his savings, everything he had, and bought some sheep on that land. And guess what happened to the sheep? Nothing. There's nothing to eat, nothing to grow. All the sheep died. And so she rolled her eyes again, and he was really wondering, am I going to make this, is, is this going to be a go of it, or did we really get taken? Is this just useless land? Five years go by, and they're just struggling. Well, a man comes by the house, and he says, we're from an oil company. We think there might be oil on your property. Bill says, well, there's nothing else good about this property. So could we drill some oil wells? Go ahead, you can drill some oil wells. Well, they do, and they become multimillionaires. Again, look up their name. It's a true story. They uh, were the owners of the largest oil rig and uh, land in Texas. Multimillionaires. They're happy now. So the question is this. When did they become millionaires? When they bought the property or when the oil was found? But they didn't know it. They were millionaires and they didn't know what they had. This is the church today. We are well equipped we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes, and the church says amen to it. We have all that we need. God does not need to supply anything else to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we walk around as if we have nothing. Until you begin to discover the promises of God in your life, Till you begin to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer going to put up with the stuff the devil is giving to you, what he's throwing at you. You're going to fight, and you're going to fight with all the resources of heaven. Let me share with you a verse that is very powerful. This verse is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Many of you know it. It says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is power from God. He's speaking of the new covenant promises that God's Spirit is going to indwell us. But what's important about this verse in the original language, we quote it all the time, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That is not the best translation. The word in Hebrew, look it up in your own concordance, the word in Hebrew is not renew, but in fact, exchange. Now read it. Those who wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength. Who are we going to exchange strength with? Christ Jesus, God. 
Do you think God really needs to renew your flesh strength? No way. Their flesh needs to decrease. I don't need more strength in me. I need to exchange my strength for Him. That's what this verse is saying. Those who wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength and mount up as on eagles' wings. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and you will not faint because I've got the strength and the power of Christ living in me. That's what we need. And I love this verse in Colossians 1.29. Look at what Paul says. To this end I labor. All right, does that mean he puts effort in it? Okay, the word labor there means strenuous effort. To this end I labor. Struggling. Don't stop there. Now this is where many of us are. We labor and we struggle with our Christianity. We labor and we struggle over all of our efforts. We labor and we struggle. We labor in our struggle. But he says, you know what? Stop renewing your strength and would you let me exchange it for mine? He says, for this end I labor struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. There's the exchanged life. We're still responsible to labor. We're still responsible to use the talent God has given us. We're still to invest in the work and the operations of the Holy Spirit within our lives. But it's through His strength we operate it. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. But in Him, I can do all things. Do you see the amazing exchange that takes place here? If you are born again, if you're saved, if you've put faith in Jesus Christ, you have the full person of God in you by the person of the Holy Spirit. You have every promise of God that is yours. You have all the strength and the purpose that Christ came to bring to earth. It is yours right now. And he's waiting for you to exchange your strength for his. Stop operating in your abilities and begin to wait upon God. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Move under His directives, not your abilities. And Paul says, I labor, I struggle. It's hard work, but I can do all things through that power that I labor with. It's His power. Amen? Let me give you an example of that, another illustration here. It happened in New York Harbor. A barge had sunk to the bottom and ships could not get through. So they needed to raise the barge that had sunk in the harbor. And so uh, the older harbor master wasn't available the one day and the younger ones went out. And what they did is they uh, got some divers and they hooked up the cranes to the barge down in the water. And what they did is um, they began to hook it up and they began to run the cranes and run the motors. And the motors were trying to lift this barge underwater up, up. And as they couldn't do it, it wasn't in New York Harbor, it was, I don't know where it was. Anyways, they're, they're lifting it up. You fill it in wherever you want it. And they're lifting it up. And all of a sudden, the motors are straining and straining. They're beginning to burn. They get water and put on them. And they just can't. They begin to burn out. They can't lift the weight of that barge with all that water. So they cut it loose and they wait. I don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what we should do. The old harbor master comes the next day. 
he looks at the situation, he shakes his head. He said, you tried your best, didn't you, boys? Yeah, we don't know what to do. We gave it our best shot, strongest engines, all we could do. He said, hold on. So they go down. They hook up the lines once again. And they say, okay, bring it taut. They bring it taut. And he says, okay, what are we going to do now? He says, you just wait. And he goes and he sits, pulls out a sandwich. Snack. Hours go by, a couple hours go by. Then the tide comes in. And when the tide comes in and the ocean rises, it lifts the barge up out of the sand by the weight and the power of the mass of the ocean. Once that barge is released from the sand, they then kick on the cranes and it lifts the boat right out. He said, you forgot the power of the ocean to do the work. They were relying on horsepower. It's the same illustration. We're relying on our best effort when God has an ocean of grace, an ocean of power and an ocean of his own nature that can lift us out of these situations. Amen? So we need to begin understanding these things. That I have power over sin. I have power over sin because I have been taken out of Adam and put in Christ and the power he has over death is now the power I have over sin. Let me give you one last story. As they lift the barge out. There's Ernie. Ernie's a deputy sheriff in a town. And uh, the county decided that uh, they were going to, uh, yearly they have to go over their marksmanship, and uh, they decided to increase the uh, test and exam for marksmanship. And uh, everybody knew Ernie was one of the best marksmen there was, but he had to get 12, round, 12 shots off in 18 seconds. Well, the thing is, Ernie got a new pair of uh, trifocals. So it was Ernie's turn to get in place. And so Ernie's a little nervous because he hasn't shot with these big old spectacles before. And as Ernie's getting ready to shoot, he, he makes a bead on the target, lines himself up, but all of a sudden these big old spectacles, because he's nervous and he's hot, they begin to fog up. And Ernie can't see. And he's losing seconds, valuable seconds. And all of a sudden you hear, pop, 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 pop. Ernie just shoots, shoots. They check the target. Ernie's right on. Takes his glasses off, rubs all the fog off. He said, Ernie, dude, how did you do this? He said, I learned a long time ago when I was in the Navy. They said, you make your mark and you remember your position. He said, thank you for the music. Right on cue. You see, he, he, he made his mark, and though he became blind to whatever, he remembered his position, and he released it. He shot it. Didn't second-guess himself. Remember your position. Remember who you are in Christ. There's going to be things that fog over your vision in this life. There are going to be things that come against you. It's going to be dark. You're not hearing what God said. I don't know what to do. Remember who you are. Remember the last orders God gave you. Remember your position in Christ Jesus. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Remember his character. 
He was God yesterday. He's God today. You might have been going through some calamity, but He's still the Lord. You remember your position. You remember who He is. You remember what He did in your life. And you will not miss the target. Hold fast to who you are and what Christ has done for you. Amen? You have power over sin. Hold fast to that. No matter how much you're struggling, you hold fast to the fact that if Christ rose, had risen from the dead, has power over the grave, I have power over sin in my life. Let's bow our heads tonight. Hallelujah.